Hello there, it's Scott, back with a bonus episode. You're about to hear a preview version of a premium episode that I did with uh, Michael Cayley of the Double Pivot Podcast. We talked mostly about Tottenham and looking ahead to the North London Derby, but touched on a number of subjects. This preview will give you about half of the episode, which is about 60 minutes total. If you want to hear the full episode, you can go to canonstats.com and upgrade to a premium subscription, which will get you a special link to be able to add this to any podcast player that you'd like or be able to listen through the Substack app or web version. If you are a member of the Arsenal Vision Patreon, this will also be published there. Um, so you know, be uh, on the lookout. It'll be coming in the next couple of days. Thank you, and please enjoy this preview. Yeehaw, hello and howdy. Uh, welcome, guys. I have a, a special guest today, and I'm very excited to talk to, for the first time, I mean, we were, we were just talking about this before we hit record, is it over the phone, on a podcast, on a special uh, VoIP thing? I don't know, people don't even talk to each other on the phone anymore, so we're not really sure what the right word is, but I'm excited to do it for the first time. Um, you'll have to give him some slack for the team he supports, but uh, people say that I secretly support this team too. I am joined today by one of the mics of the Double Vivid podcast, Michael Cayley. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Scott. Thanks for uh, having me. It's really fun to talk to a fellow Yid. I <laughs> you know that we are both Tottenham till we die. This should be a really fun podcast. Absolutely. So I, I was going to put this uh, later in my running notes, but how did you become a Spurs fan of all the teams? I'm always you know, curious how Americans come to support different Premier League teams. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, you know, there isn't any particularly interesting story. I was, uh, I played soccer, followed soccer for my, like, pretty much whole life, but mm-hmm. never was a big fan. I was sort of a, an American who tuned in for the World Cup. Sure. And before the 2010 World Cup, I wanted to get more interested in soccer, wanted to know what I was actually watching, and figured I'd try to watch the Premier League. And this was around the time I was previously a, uh, I, I still am, but I was a very obsessed Boston Red Sox fan and a baseball fan. And the Boston Red Sox had kind of like, they came back and won the World Series after being down 3-0 in the ALCS against their biggest rival in 2004. Then they won it again in 2007. I was kind of like, I got what I'm going to get for this. Like, what mm. more joy am I going to get from Red Sox fandom? I was sort of like, you know, it, 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 I you, wasn't you reached as, the mountain, as obsessed. Right? Yeah. Exactly. The mountain. Exactly. So I wanted to get involved in, I wanted to follow the Premier League and it turned out to be this great opportunity, you know, because as right as I was getting involved in it, having been a statistically oriented baseball fan, I mean, I think all baseball fans to a certain degree are statistically oriented, but like I was particularly so. And sorry, had a thing on my microphone here. Um, apologies to the producer. Let me, let me just, um, my microphone just popped out. No worries. Yeah, that's a interesting because I think you're right. Um, I think all baseball fans are uh, inclined to it because it's kind of just like ingrained in the sport. Like it's been going back since like the what you know, the early 1900s where you have the box score, and so it's like that is like how you deal with baseball, especially um, you know the day after. It, exactly, and I've got a whole thing on this that like one of the reasons that 
American sports are so different statistically is that there was a Supreme Court ruling, I think back in the 1910s, where the baseball leagues tried to sue a newspaper and say, we own the data from this game. That was our game. And the, the court held that it was public information. And so the idea that statistics were published the day after the game for the public became, it had both a legal grounding and it became ingrained in American sports. So that obviously never happened in European sports. Data was, was still is collected in a uh, proprietary manner. Mm-hmm. More of it and more of it is getting public. So I was getting involved in following soccer right at the time that there started to really be data. And I could be one of the people sort of just, you know, trying to find it and get to it. And then, you know, what happens is I start really following soccer in the 2009-2010 Premier League season when Spurs have this really exciting run to the Champions League places. Hadn't been in the Champions League in such a long time. Exciting young team. You got Modric, you got Bale. It was really fun. Happened. I think that probably the bigger factor really was just that I happened to have a bunch of friends who were my fellow like statistically oriented baseball fans. A bunch of them happened to be Tottenham fans. So that was what they were talking about more as I was getting involved in those conversations. And so uh, they that's what happened. It's it's I have I have no deep connections to <laughs> London, whether the yeah. working class or the middle class areas of said city. But certainly it was a plus that it was a London team. If I went to visit, I was I was just in uh, England a little while ago and took my son to his first game at the stadium. He had a great time. So like it, it's it's nice to be a fan of a team where like if you're going on vacation to the UK, it's like you know where you go. Exactly. No, I mean I, you know I, I was reading um, when I read. Uh, uh, Ryan O'Hanlon's book, he had a you know a nice little story about you, and I kept like thinking like this feels like my story. So my mm-hmm. you know same thing. I grew up um, baseball fan. Um, I also uh, was statistically inclined for baseball. Um, I wrote about the San Francisco Giants, so I have a very similar kind of thing where you know they won the World Series in 2010, 12, 14, and then <laughs> it kind of uh, again like I kind of felt like well it's never going to get better than this. Um, so yeah, the, the Giants up to that point had gone what, like 50 plus years without winning a World Series, a lot of heartbreak, very similar to the the Red Sox in that regard of, you know, yep. a team that just felt kind of cursed. And then it kind of like, all right, we got three in uh, six years and it just felt like, all right, that's kind of it. And my uh, my passion a little bit. So I still follow them, not quite to the, the same degree. Um, also, it kind of happens when um, you're a, an older person now, like when, you know, uh, games, uh, you know, first pitches at like 730 at night and doesn't well, it's a little bit better now because the games are not uh, pushing four hours anymore. But yeah, it was it was hard to like stay awake till midnight on school nights and have to get up early to go do all those things. Um, but my story is a little 160 bit 160 games a year is a young man's game, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's it's certainly that marathon. So the people that I wrote with um, for the Giants were all Liverpool fans. But they absolutely used to savage Arsene Wenger and Arsenal. <laughs> and me being kind of like the, the contrarian I am, uh, felt now inclined to say, uh, screw you guys. I'm going to support them and just uh, you know kind of needle them. So that's kind of how I came to Arsenal. Um, so it's a, a very similar kind of story. Uh, it's, it's always interesting to see how people come to that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's... We have guests on our pod. We sort of try to bring people on who are like soccer fans. They do something else. And mm-hmm. it's always interesting to talk to them. I mean, occasionally they're, you know, English. And so the way they became a fan was, you know, you know was more natural, right? It's like my, my, grandf- my grandfather supported this team, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I, I know that's kind of how like, you know, my American, you know, allegiances had like, you know, so um, growing up in the Bay Area, right, you have the, you know, the, the choice of, you know, like the, either the San Francisco teams or the Oakland teams. And well, there's a lot less Oakland teams than there used to be. Um, but it's like, you know, how do you pick which ones you do? I'm sure it's, well, I mean, uh, you're, you're I, I, grew, I grew up in, in, the, in Western Massachusetts, so yeah. you just don't have a choice. I grew up in Western yeah. Massachusetts. You're a Red Sox fan. You know, <laughs> if you're not like you, you have to be a whole nother level of contrarian to not pick the Red Sox. Exactly right. Maybe like if you're in like Connecticut or you're in the disputed territory where you have the, the two New York teams or the Boston teams and which one, you know, kind of supports you. Like it'd be kind of interesting where the, the demarcation line in Connecticut is that kind of separates it. Yeah. But if you're a uh, masshole, it's just you're stuck. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're kind of stuck with it. But yeah, so it's again like uh, my, my grandfather, you know, uh, when he moved uh, to West from, uh, I think he's here from Iowa, he, he became a, a San Francisco fan. So we supported all the the San Francisco teams. So I think that's a you know interesting you know contrast of you know I just picked this team because uh, my friends disliked them versus uh, my grandfather grew up uh, supporting them. So uh, I'm kind of born into it. Uh, a real interesting kind of a uh, mix there. Um, so yeah, I wanted to um, get bring you on primarily because you know the the North London Derby is is coming up and uh, seeing as you or we're both you know giant Spurs fans um, I wanted to, to get a sense of, of how things are going there with them um, so uh, Andrew Coglu uh, is is doing uh, very nice there is it for real small sample size what's the the kind of the feeling in the Spurs fandom right now yeah I mean the vibes are amazing. You know, Tottenham just came back and won with two goals in uh, deep into stoppage time. Everyone's having a great time. And Postacolu is, can talk a bit more about what he is as a tactical manager. I think he is an interesting tactical mm -hmm. manager at minimum. Exactly how good he is, is very much, you know, not something that we can know this far into the season. I think the thing for me is that he just seems like a mensch like a really good person. The way he has spoken about mental health recently after Richarlison talked about his struggles and wanting to go see a therapist and the way he talked about how you never know what players are going through and what he's been going through personally and how he tries to talk to players and manage them. Like he really just seems like a caring, decent guy, which is you know, <laughs> shockingly rare in professional sports. And so for me, at least, I am very invested in Postacolu working out. And I mm -hmm. think that lots and lots of Spurs fans have had this same positive reaction. Certainly, we have not had a lot of managers in the recent years who were particularly interested in anybody's feelings or humanity. So... That's yeah, especially, yeah, you, you think about, you know, you, you went from Jose and Conte, who are, you know, kind of uh, notorious for uh, not being necessarily cut from that cloth, right? Yeah, and, 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 and Nuno Espirito Santo is very much a sort of authoritarian Portuguese manager in that classic mode. So this is, this is, this is all, and so, like, that's all been lovely, and that has been fun. One of the things that I have sort of pushed for in Certainly, when I talk to Spurs fans online or in chats, you, you know, the, the various chats that we're in with other mm -hmm. Spurs fans and, um, and or, or, or sort of through the podcast I'm talking to is like, we really should not be assuming that things are going to stay amazing. Like mm -hmm. the, the story of the offseason for Tottenham is that they moved on from Harry Kane and really just did not replace him. 
Yeah. And so if you take Wait, you a team... You don't think Brendan Johnson is a, the replacement for Harry Kane? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, he's into the team and he's the sub. Like, if, if you bought the replacement for Harry Kane, he'd be starting. No, I, yeah. I don't think anyone, re- even the ho- people are the highest on Brennan Johnson, the highest on trust Ange, he sees something. Like, Johnson is at best, maybe he could be a replacement in a couple of years. Like, no one thinks he's that good right now. Mm-hmm. And and that would be the, 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 the high take on Johnson. So we should expect this team that was, you know, at, that was sort of below, certainly below Champions League competition, really fairly knocked out of European competition last season, and then got, and then lost their striker and their superstar striker and didn't replace him. We should not expect that much from this team. And, you know, one of the reasons that the vibes are so good right now is that Tottenham are running pretty well ahead of their XG. Their expected goal difference is, is, is a non-penalty expected goal difference is plus two and a half, which is, you know, solid, above average. I have I have Tottenham so far this season as like seventh ace best team so far in the Premier League, but, you know, with like Brentford being weirdly good ahead of them. So like, you know, certainly at a level that would not be shocking if they keep playing this way, this is Tottenham playing conceivably Champions League uh, quality uh, football, certainly Europa competition football. And Mm -hmm. that is uh, ahead of where I thought they would be coming to this. So, so far, the result, the, 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 what we've got from Ange and Ange Ball is positive, is over expectation. I can talk more about like exactly how I think they're getting there and how sustainable that might be. But like, I think that the thing to say is that Tottenham right now are in second and they are not playing second place football, but Tottenham coming into the season, it would have been reasonable to have them seventh, eighth, ninth. And they're playing like fourth, fifth, sixth football, and that's yeah. that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just looking at the the numbers this morning. I've got them fourth um, on my my performance kind of metrics um, overall, which I think is a, a big uh, jump from last year, where I had them closer to ninth. Um, and right, you know, anytime like I, I hate doing like I, I like more tiers versus rankings mm-hmm. um, because yeah, like that, that I think that. Uh, flatten some of the the gaps between teams, but I think they were certainly in a group that you, you could you know make a, an argument they were somewhere between like you know seventh and tenth in that range of you know teams like you know from you know you, you think Brentford um, almost I think even like United like they I think they were gotten uh, a little bit hot on some of their uh, finishing to get there, but yeah. it wouldn't have been crazy to kind of think that they're in that spot of you know maybe if things broke absolutely perfect they could have gotten to like some of the the conference europa league but i think they were kind of rightly in the spot um and i think yeah this year i've been impressed with them although i've been trying to to discount some of it but i think that they just keep doing really well so i know i'm looking at my numbers and i have them uh 2.1 on the non-penalty xg versus 2.6 goals so yeah a little bit hot i'm not sure what what your numbers are saying but um it doesn't seem massively uh out of line right now yeah, I, I have them a little under two, but like, you know, okay. sim- similar kinds of things. And and I mean, I think that the the interesting thing, and I think this is sort of really going into the Derby, what I'm just fascinated to see how it works, is that Ange has instituted a totally new tactical system. Mm-hmm. And one, one thing, I, th- I think it's sort of a, you know, Arsenal-flavored take on this is that one thing that you can see from Tottenham is that they are utterly different tactically than the, what they were last season. Yeah. And yeah. one so, of yeah, last my... year it was a lot of the the back three 
now we're in a it's a pretty nominal four two three one, but uh, I think that four in the back is certainly different than how you would expect a, a normal four to line up, right? Yeah, exactly. I I think I'd call it more of a four three three because the 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 wide uh, attackers really do stay wide, and I'll, I'll talk about exactly how how it comes together. But last season they they have already had more passes into the penalty area in every single one of their games but one than they had in their best passes into the penalty areas game <laughs> last season. So they are moving the ball, they're having the ball in dangerous areas and moving the ball into the penalty area in ways that are just categorically different from what they did last season. And one thing that sort of I have been, you know, very closely following uh Arsenal for like one, you know, Spurs fans do this. And, and and two, they have been a very interesting team. They have they have committed to an idea over the course of years in a way that football teams rarely do. And for years, and, and I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I, I wonder if one of the reasons that people think you're a Spurs fan is because of this. For years, those results were not very good. Yeah. And you know, Arteta, it was like, what are they doing sticking with Arteta? But the one thing that was obvious from very early on with Arteta was that he had instilled a style. Mm -hmm. And the style hadn't been good. The style had been playing them into, you know, maybe Europa, maybe conference. Conference didn't exist then, maybe out of it. And so it's like, well, is this any good? Why would you stick with something that isn't that good? But the fact that he instilled a style was, I think, in retrospect, a much more positive indicator and a, a reason to think that if you give it time, it can work. And that's kind of how I feel with Pastacolu, what we've seen so far. I don't want to get in any way out over my skis on how good it is, but if someone has an idea and is capable of communicating that idea very quickly to a bunch of players, getting them to do the things that he wants them to do, that's a really positive indicator for a manager. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we've, we've kind of uh, talked about this on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter. Um, but, you know, the Arteta certainly has a type that he has, <laughs> has targeted with his uh, recruitment. It's uh, they have to be an incredibly talented technical passer, like and everything else is kind of a secondary towards that. But like that is something that he absolutely seems to be prizing with the players that he has been targeting. Um, I think, you know, secondarily, it's, a you know, a a flexible positional sense of like, you know, uh, positions at Arsenal are, are very uh, loose, you know, and it's a, you have a certain role that you kind of fit. But I think that is something that yeah has been very clear since the team kind of, uh, you know, really kind of doubled down on like, all right, we're going to rebuild. We're going to rebuild through players that can pass. And like, that is the the number one requirement for Mikel Arteta's, uh, you know, style here. Is there something similar with that? Like now that you think with uh, Postacoglu? I, I'm interested in this. So one thing that has been very striking with uh, and with what we see so far of targeting for Tottenham under Postacolo, and I think that it is really, really early to talk about targeting because mm -hmm. Spurs still have a director of football. They hired this guy, Scott Munn, to be sort of their like executive football operations guy, but he's supposed to oversee more than just player recruitment. He, he, was an, he was really a business executive at City Football Group. And he's certainly involved, and by all reports, he wants there to be a, a working analytics department. They're trying to stand all this stuff up. But 
even if he had been there, he would not be a proper director of football. And City didn't let him come to Tottenham until his contract was fully, fully, fully up. So he's only just now at the beginning of the season after the window closed, started at Tottenham. So recruitment may really be different in the mm. next, even in the January window than it was in the summer. But the one thing that stood out, and, and this is, you know, insofar as you try to explain Brandon Johnson, this is it, is that Postacolu wants athletes. He wants okay. guys who are fast and hopefully also strong. And I think part of this goes to the way that his system works, which is it is definitely a I think I think it looks to me like a 4-3-3, maybe 4-2-3-1 out of possession, but it completely changes in possession. He inverts both fullbacks. So you think of Zinchenko for Ar for Arsenal, but both mm -hmm. guys. So instead okay. of White sitting back in the back line, instead you have both fullbacks pulling in to make a two-three in buildup, and then though, and then you know, so Arsenal's kind of goes three-two-two-three. It's a, it's it's WM-ish in in possession, and so one of the things you get with that is you get the wingers staying wide. The the wingers are really supposed to be out there as ball progression outlets. That's certainly what Tottenham do. That's one of the reasons it's so important to have good athletes out wide to create that separation to be those outlets. Uh, so Spurs have not not the same quality that Arsenal have, but they, they try to play in those same areas. And then the the two, uh, then it becomes really 2-3-5 with James Madison in the 10 attacking the penalty area. He's the guy who's leading the team and passes into the penalty area. And, and really creating, and then Pat Matarsar as the guy attacking the penalty. So again, very, very similar. If you think about the Arsenal roles, you can really sort of just download these right into there. You've got the yeah. Odegaard role. You've got the uh, the, the Xhaka, Havertz. Vieira Vieira didn't kind of play that way, role. And 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 so, and though, so obviously the problem with this, and this is a, a problem that Arsenal have mostly not had, which is interesting because it is a problem that teams usually have, is what the heck do you do when you lose the ball? If you have put five guys in the forward line, yeah. in Spurs' case, you don't have any fullbacks. Like, what are you doing to defend that space? And one answer for Tottenham so far this year is that they're not defending that space all that well. They have been like a roughly average defensive team so far this season. They've been a little bit fortunate on uh, on, 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 on opposition chances turning into goals. Uh, 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 Vicario has been very good with making a couple of big saves so far. You know, but I have them as a roughly average defensive team so far, but a well above average attacking team, and that's why they've been so good. So, first part of the story: How do you defend? When how do you what do you do when you lose the ball and you've got five forwards? Well, you, you concede some chances, and yeah. and that has certainly happened for Tottenham. But the other thing is that that's where the athletes come in. The they they signed okay. uh, Mick, Mickey Vandeven as a as as the new uh, new left center back to play with Romero both of them are very fast for for center backs Vandevin is huge and weirdly not very good in the air he's young maybe he can get better but he's certainly fast and strong uh, both of them like to make plays in the open field Destiny Udogi who uh was a they signed from Udinese I think uh last summer is now the starting left back. And mm -hmm. again, he is a big dude. He's actually, I think, bigger than either of Tottenham's center backs and has been exceptionally good one-on-one -on -one defending. He's the one who uh, jumped the passing lane to make the interception to set up the winning goal against Sheffield United. 
Yves Basuma, who had a weirdly bad season last year. I think he was injured a bunch. I, I know people think it was uh, was was Conte. I don't really know. Like he really wasn't very good last season. So you know, a guy can have a bad season. A guy this you know. Pastacolo, you never know what someone's going through. Um, whatever it was, he has been excellent this season. He is, uh, I, th- I think he is like leading Premier League midfielders in tackles and interceptions. He's also doing a ton of ball carrying. And then Saar, who has now played his way into that uh, that sort of uh, crash the box, get shots eight role, was previously a kind of destroyer type midfielder in France and also another very, very good athlete. So, and, and then Madison, not a, not a like great athlete, but a better defender individually than a typical 10. And so right now, the way that Tottenham works is that you, you go all out to get shots and then guys make plays at the back. And so far it is working. It feels very fragile to me. And I am really, really interested to see what happens with Tottenham playing this way against Arsenal, both to what degree will Tottenham actually be able to get into their 2-3-5 in possession? Will Arsenal try to prevent them from doing that? Or if, or or um, maybe they won't, and then they'll have to play differently than they've played against a, a relatively weak schedule. Uh, Arsenal have been playing against also a quite weak schedule and playing a much more, I think, defensive possession style Absolutely. than I remember from them. Uh, recently, so maybe they'll settle into that and Spurs will have to respond to it, or maybe Spurs will be pushing forward and then they will have be having to defend in transition against much better players than they have mostly faced this season. Either one of those is really interesting to me. Yeah, I was looking at the the Arsenal numbers, and so the, the pressing numbers are still really high for Arsenal, but I think one of the things that's really interesting is the, the average speed um, of their attacks has slowed way down from last year so i think you know i think last year they were they were still on the slower side but they were more towards the the middle of the the pack uh this year they are like absolutely towards the bottom so there's been a, a couple times where arsenal seemed to have uh, attacked quickly after winning the ball but it seems like the the winning of the ball with the press is not uh with the goal of uh you know kind of like the manchester united way of like quick transitions trying to create something off of those chances it's uh we're going to win the ball and then we're going to recycle it and we're going to build again to create our our chance again because we just don't want to turn this game into uh, a basketball back and forth match i think that has been uh Mikel arteta's goal this year i think he absolutely hated the end of last year where uh you know, I think it, the numbers were decent-ish because, you know, the Arsenal's attack is still really good. But I think he hated that the games uh, got a little bit too out of his control. Because I think he is, uh, at heart, uh, an absolute control freak and wants, yep. you know, kind of like Pep in that sense that he hates uh, transition football, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting to connect it to uh, the, the way that things went wrong relatively at the end of last season for Arsenal. Because... Exactly as you're saying, it was that the defensive numbers went from excellent to average-ish, while the attack stayed strong, and and and, mm. and they a couple couple of bounces go the wrong way as well. But the team didn't play at the at the same level, and it was because of that. And I think this goes to the basic problem, which I think was something we're seeing in Premier League football at a number of different levels. Um, certainly, uh, Liverpool are playing five forward. Brighton are playing a di- Brighton really play sort of playing four forward. But with like then 
fullbacks that push up wide in a different kind of way. United really try to get like six forward in, in a weird way where their DM is crashing the penalty area. And, yeah, and that is always a weird one, right? Yeah, Casemiro like leading that team in shots and and it's not like, you know, uh, peppering the box like Coutinho. It's like that guy is uh, really inside of the box. Yeah, it's it's wild. And, but I mean, it, it's is it that much more wild than like Tottenham and Arsenal both having a midfielder whose main job is to get shots and he's not the 10? Like, it's just, yeah, it's just like, coming from a different spot, right? That, than when you'd normally expect, right? You don't normally have your DM as that guy, but you know, yep, it's also yep. like yeah, Casemiro is a kind of a, a unicorn in that regard. Yeah, but it, it's it's all of these teams are really trying to get more bodies attacking the box from different angles and unsettle defenses. And when you do that, you create a bunch of defensive problems for yourself. Just inevitably, the, the numbers are obvious. You're just counting bodies on the field to defend. And it looks to, I think that is, is a very plausible argument that what Arteta is doing is he still wants to get those bodies forward, but he doesn't want to get caught in transition. So he wants to get into those, into those positions a little more slowly with, mm-hmm. with, with better sort of defensive set uh, possession formations. And then exactly you're saying the other thing that's been been impressive is the amount of pressing that they've done that like earlier Arteta teams were less interested in pressing, more interested in letting the other team have the ball for a while and defending yes. in more of a mid block. And it's interesting that they are pressing more aggressively, defending more aggressively, conceding fewer uh, uh, completed passes in like the middle of the field than they used to, but doing it not in the interest of being more attacking, but in the interest of kind of being more defensive. Exactly. No, I remember like the, but probably with the the first eighteen months of uh, Arteta's reign, it was if you like kind of like uh, plotted uh, passing percentage, like you know for and against uh, Arsenal were in their their weird spot of uh, they completed a lot of passes, people completed a lot of passes against them. Like it was just a an, a very interesting like we're just going to play a, a game where you know ninety percent of passes just get completed here and like that's okay. And Arteta I, I remember calling it the Arteta quadrant. Yeah, right. Because the, they were they, they were the were only special. ones in that quadrant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they've they've moved to a, a different spot. So I know I, I look at something that I call pass efficiency. So it's it's using my uh, pass completed um, or expected pass completion model and just kind of saying, all right, well, do teams complete more or less passes against you? And um, Arsenal and Chelsea are kind of uh, leading the way right now in the you know uh, pass completion against um, being below average. Like so, they're they're kind of the outliers right now for that and it it is also interesting to kind of look at the difference between arsenal and chelsea like the speed at which they're attacking um arsenal's uh you know i I use progressive yards per second and they're about like 1.8 while chelsea are 2.1 so it's a a pretty big gap overall there so like chelsea are not especially quick at doing transitions but uh arsenal are uh, i think more of an outlier in the sense that they just are not um, able to do it. There's some there's some teams that are slower, but I think that they're just bad teams. Um, so I know Burnley <laughs> are up there, right? So Burnley are playing like that possession style, but they're playing a possession style with uh, not good. I mean, yeah, not good Premier League type attackers. Yeah. Uh, City are also a, a very slow team, and like that's not surprising because I think that this is what Pep is doing as well. Like he just wants to play. That's it. I hope you enjoyed the preview. If you want to hear the rest, you can subscribe at canonstats.com. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.